Well, good morning. Uh, here we are in week three of our series, My Own Worst Enemy. I know for me, whenever I find myself in that position of being my own worst enemy, I usually got there because I have lost control of my emotions. That's, that's why I'm in that situation. And one of the strongest emotions that we have at our disposal and the most explosive seems to be anger. And to be honest with you, I have a problem with anger. Uh, some of y'all may not have seen it before. My kids back there are going, oh yeah, I've seen it. But I, I do have that propensity to, to go there and I, I respond in two ways. And me being up here by myself a little while this morning, you may witness it, I don't know. It, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but I have two ways I respond. One of them is I will ghost you. I'm done with you, I cut you off, you will not hear from me again, that's it, I'm just done. And that usually happens in my business life, um, I'm just, when I think somebody's done me wrong, I'm just done. I cut them off. And when they approach me, I don't yell. I don't scream. I just politely, you know, I just don't need your services. That's, that's how my anger is there. But I also have the, I think what we most common think of when we think of anger is the red-faced, vein in my forehead, word vomit, anger. And I, I have that also. And there's two things that bring that out in me. First one is pets. Now, now this, one, this one is not real destructive. It's actually comical probably if you're watching it. But we have two dogs and we also have a cat. The cat's technically not ours. But the two dogs, I'm like, I feed you. You have a roof over your head. But yet you still pee and poop on my floor. You still get under my feet when I'm trying to fix my plate. You still crop dust me. If you don't know what that is, ask me afterwards. I will tell you what crop dusting is. And I get mad at them and I yell and I scream at them. And they just look at me like, what are you doing? And then they come up to me and won't pet it. And I tell them to get on. But pets bring that out in me. And like I said, that's comical. That's not real destructive. But the one that is destructive, and again, they'll agree with me. My kids and my young adults, they will bring this out in me. They, they bring out this red-faced word vomit. You're halfway through a sentence and realize it is not coherent anymore. And they're just sitting there looking at you like, what are you talking about? But they bring it out in me. And when it usually happens, it's when I think they're being argumentative or disrespectful to Lisa. I'm like, how dare you talk to this woman who does all these things for you this way? And I lose it. And it is very, very destructive. And when anger erupts, Sometimes I think things that hurt my relationships. And I think this is one of those things that I don't think we really realize we're doing it. I know I'm doing it because that's when I'm keeping score. I'm like, one more time. I got a scoreboard. You do it one more time, I'm going to go off on you. And it happens because I have that score going in my head. Um, when I've had enough, it's just bam, and I go off. I have facial expressions that leave hurt. I think a lot of times we think we keep it in our head and it comes out in our face like somebody will be saying something and my eyes and mouth just go to, are you stupid? But, and they read that and it's hurtful. I let, I let what I'm thinking come out of my face. I say things that sting. We've been over that. But I want you to hear one thing. Anger in itself, in itself is not wrong. Anger is an emotion that God gave us. When it's wrong is when we let it control us. When anger is in control and we're no longer in control, that's when anger is wrong. And I know for me, I am most susceptible to anger controlling me when I'm stressed out, when I'm tired, when I'm emotionally drained, when work has been tough, that's whenever I'm most likely to go off on somebody. 
When I'm stressed and drained from an outside influence, and like I said, usually it's work, I unfairly lash out at the kids, the young adults, and yes, even the pets in my life. They get lashed out at. Because ultimately, I think they're introducing stress into this place that should be safe for Lisa and I. And I get angry at them because like, this should be my safe place. And you're making it unsafe in my head. I say things in a manner that I instantly regret it. I don't always admit it because I'm a man and we don't always admit we're wrong. But I know why what I did was wrong. And ultimately, what I've done, that place I want to be safe, I've made it more combative. I've made it more stressful. I've been counterproductive to what I wanted my house to be. Of all the emotions that control us, anger is one of the most deadly relationally. When anger erupts, we lose control. And last week, Cole talked about that. When we lose control of our emotions, those walls, those walls of safety, they break down. We're no longer safe. There's no longer room for growth. And we are susceptible to outside attacks. When that wall's down, we're in a bad place. We lose control and say things we wouldn't normally say. There's things that we don't say to people simply out of kindness and respect for them. But when, when, we're, when we're done, all those things just come out of our mouth. I call, that's what I call word vomit. They just all comes out. And that person is the brunt of our anger. We become our own worst enemies and say things that we can't take back. We can't take back what we said. We can't undo the harm that we've caused. It's done. You can't take that back. It's like trying to put toothpaste back in a toothpaste tube. You cannot do it. And sometimes when you try, if you try it, you're just going to make a bigger mess. So we have made a mess when we do that. We lose control and do things we wouldn't normally do. We become our own worst enemies and do things that hurt others and it hurts our relationships with them. And the more I allow my anger to take control, the stronger it gets. Not only does it get stronger, it becomes my go-to. That's my go-to. When I let that take control, my go-to emotion is going to be anger. And there are times in my life when I was really, really good at it. I was really good at being angry. And that's not a thing to be proud of, but I, I was up there at the, with the best of them. Here's our concept for this whole series. And for our kids back there this month too, and I, Chris is going to be putting this on the screen. And this, I believe this is actually what they're seeing today. Self-control. And what we're talking about, doing the next right thing, even when I don't feel like it. Powerful emotions like anger, they can keep us from doing the next right thing. Because our anger, it builds up internally. Then it comes out externally. And when our anger does that, it demands control. It's not going to let you have any control. It demands full control. And it takes it. And in order to not allow anger and emotions to control us, we have to do what we talked about in week one. Our week one bottom line was this. To do the next right thing, we must be ready to do the next right thing the way Jesus was ready. Jesus was in a tight, deep, committed relationship with God. Jesus knew what God said, and Jesus was already living out those words. And I like that. He knew the words, but he was already living it. I think a lot of times we know, but we're not living it. So we don't know how to react. And then week two, we built upon that. Either we control ourselves or something else gets more control over us. And I love this series because back there in uh, First Look in 252, they are going through this same thing that we're going through on their level right along with us. Their month-long app is self-control, and their bottom line for today is don't be controlled by your anger. Now, for us as the students and adults that are in here, hopefully we've already learned that. And hopefully, even if we don't have a lot of control over our anger, at least we 
have a concept of what that is. So we're going to go a little deeper than just anger today. We're going to talk about something that we have to use if we're going to control anger and not allow it to control us. Because when that happens, it boils over, it explodes. It's a very, very rapid process. So we need to be ready ahead of time before that happens and know how to react. An important concept, a concept in the battle for self-control is willpower. And I know we've all heard that word and probably already have a concept of what that means, but it applies to every area of our life. We have to use it daily in every area of our life, not just anger. And willpower is not a mystical force. It's not a special force. You don't have to be a fourth degree judo Jedi to be able to use it. It's, it's a very simple concept. And Chris is going to have this on your screen. This is the simple definition for willpower. The emotional energy needed to withstand temptation. It is the fuel and muscle for self-control. So while the kiddos back there are talking about anger specifically this morning with the bottom line of don't let anger control you, our bottom line this morning, it goes a bit further. It goes a bit deeper. Our bottom line this morning is this. When our willpower is low, emotions control. Let me say that again. When our willpower is low, emotions control. And here's our key concept, and this is so important because before we started doing this study, I never thought about this. Our willpower is limited. We often don't have enough. Often we run out, and that's why we hit that anger trigger. I know it's why I do. I'm out of willpower. I'm done dealing with things, so I'm going to go off on somebody. And many things use up our willpower during the day. And I think the one that we usually think about, obviously, is resisting temptation. I think that's what we marry with willpower so often. You know, there's six donuts left. I only need one. I have to use my willpower. And that's funny, but that really does, it takes a little bit away. Every time I make a decision not to do something, my willpower takes a hit. We have to learn new tasks. It takes willpower to stick to it and learn that task making decisions, getting through daily difficulties. There are many, many things throughout the day that take up our willpower. So today for our, I guess you'd call it our life lesson to see a real life application of, of willpower, we're gonna look at a man in the new covenant. We're gonna look at Peter. He is one of the first followers of Jesus. He was actually handpicked by Jesus. And Peter is a great, great example of willpower being used up. If you know Peter, you know, he, he was not the king of willpower. And I think that is why I identify with Peter so much. And I like Peter so much. I see a lot of me in him. I want to be a Paul. But when I look at the new covenant, I am pre-resurrection Peter. That's who I am. So let's look at an example. I'm going to set the scene before we get to the scripture. And here we are. The last, this is the last night that Peter and the disciples are with Jesus. This is the last night before he's arrested and killed. It's the last supper. They don't realize it, but they know something's just, something's not right. They know something is amiss. The whole scene is filled with stress. They may not, they may not understand why, but they feel the stress that Jesus is feeling. And I know I've been there, and I'm sure many of you have. When you're with someone you love, you know that something's off. You know there's some stress there. You can't put your finger on it. And that's where they are with Jesus tonight. Jesus has got some stress and they're starting to feel it. Jesus is serving and, and washing feet. The Messiah serving like a servant. So emotions are high and willpower is depleting. Soon after that, Jesus is with all of them and he says, hey guys, tonight 
somebody's going to betray me and it's going to be one of y'all. So when we got some high emotions, willpower is being depleted. After the Last Supper, they walk through the vineyard and Jesus stops to teach again. As we said earlier, when you're learning something new, willpower starts to be depleted. Peter's willpower, it's getting low. It's getting dangerously low. Now, let's go to the garden. We're just before the arrest, the torture, and the execution of Jesus. Jesus, Peter's master, Peter's mentor, the one who not long before, Peter had professed him to be the son of God. But something is different in the garden. Peter sees Jesus in emotional agony. Jesus is crushed. He asks for help and strength from his followers through prayer. And Jesus especially asks for support from Peter because even the willpower of Jesus in his humanity, it's being used up. It's low. And I'll be honest with you, I, I don't like that Jesus, that Jesus bothers me, to be honest with you. I'm gonna be perfectly transparent that Jesus bothers me. So I cannot imagine what these people who lived with him and were beside him were feeling while this was going on. So let's hit Matthew 26. We're gonna start with verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. So throughout the whole night, they did sense Jesus' stress, but apparently he had held it together. He was holding it together. They knew something was wrong, but Jesus, he had done a good job, you know, keeping it from them. But in this moment, the weight of what was about to happen washed over Jesus. In verse 38, he, Jesus, told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, think about this. Peter's fearless and unshakable leader, the one he had locked arms with to go into this fight, the one who had raised the dead, the one who had healed the sick, the one who made the blind see, the one who fed the 5,000, the one who walked on water, he is anguished and distressed. His soul is crushed. This monster of a man is crushed. Let's go to verse 39. He, Jesus, went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus is saying, God, if there's any other way than what's about to happen, please let it be that, anything but this. But then he ends it with saying, but if this is how it's got to be, let's go on with it. Verse 40, then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Now there's an interesting dynamic going on here. Jesus is crushed with grief to the point of death, his words, and Jesus needs his community. He needs his community with him right then to pray for him and to pray with him. Jesus, as they say, as Cole and Harley like to say, God with a bod, his willpower is exhausted and he knows it. And, the, the, and what he does to get more willpower is he says, hey, Let's pray. Let's, let's go to the Father and let's talk to him. That's what we need to do. I need some more willpower. Let's pray. So please, please don't miss this. Are you weak? Pray. Are you tired? Pray. Are you spent? Pray. Are you exhausted? Pray. Do you need strengthening? Guess what? Pray. 
Jesus is hours from death, a death that words cannot describe, a death that we cannot fathom. And he needs strength to complete his mission. And what does he do? He prays. And Jesus asked his community to pray along with him. But not just because he needed it, Jesus knew what was coming for them. This wasn't selfish. He knew what was coming for his followers. Verse 41, keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. Jesus knows what the next few hours hold, not just for him, but for his followers. He goes on, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Peter is physically and emotionally exhausted, and it is understandable. I cannot think of a time in my life that even begins to compare to what Peter and those other men were going through. And what does he do? He falls asleep. Instead of doing what Jesus asked, he falls asleep. See the willpower for Peter? It's gone. There's no more. It's not the riding on empty thinking, I got six miles left. His tank is empty. And three times, in fact, three, Jesus requests prayer and support from them. And three times, Peter falls asleep. Good job, Bryce. <laughs> you, you know, I am sure that Peter and all the other followers of Jesus, the disciples who were there, I'm sure that they had a desire to actually do the next right thing. They wanted to do the next right thing, but they find themselves here in this situation that, that Bryce has painted this picture, this context. They find themselves wanting to do the right thing, but they have no willpower left to do it. They have used it up throughout the night. So, man, what a night that had been. I, I, like Bryce, I cannot imagine that. And this was really only just the beginning because they were going to be up all night long through the next day. But here's what we see. While Peter was choosing to sleep, and even though maybe it wasn't like a conscious choice, he was exhausted, no willpower. He, he couldn't even stay up, make a choice to stay up. While he, was, while he was choosing to sleep, though, Jesus was making another choice with his willpower also being depleted. Jesus was choosing to pray. That's a big difference. And it's through that communication that Jesus had with the Father as he was praying Something amazing happens in that moment. Jesus gains the willpower to say what Bryce quoted as he read that. He, he, he gained the willpower in that prayer to say, but not my will, but thine. But it wasn't over yet. He still had some more willpower to go. But Jesus gained what he needed to do the next right thing. So by the time he is finished with that prayer, Jesus is ready to do the next right thing. Going into that prayer, we see that humanity, the human side of Jesus, not so ready. But by the time he finished, the human side was ready. Jesus prayed, but Peter didn't. And then the rest of Peter's night, that night goes horribly wrong. It becomes one of his life's greatest disappointments. It goes wrong. And if I'm honest, which I hope to be, every time I sit here beside Bryce and, and with y'all, if I'm honest, I often do the same thing. When my willpower gets low and I don't do the right things to strengthen it and grow it, my day 
my life can go horribly wrong. Because as Bryce described, we use up that willpower throughout the day, not just fighting temptations, just living life. It depletes our willpower. And oftentimes, you know, we, we know that it's depleted. We know that we're kind of at the end of our rope, at the end of what we can handle. But yet we don't do anything about it, if you're anything like me anyway. And once that willpower is low, once it gets depleted, the next opportunity that comes my way to do the wrong thing, I'm probably going to do some version of the wrong thing because that willpower is depleted. It's so difficult. We are in that depleted state of willpower. We are in danger of allowing our emotions to take control. And everything Bryce said about himself as he started, and I appreciate that transparency, I can say the same thing about me. I do want to have a side note. I knew Bryce was going to say those things about himself to an extent, some of that. I knew some of that anyway. And I had a dream last night that uh, he mentioned the scorecard. I had a dream that I was on that scorecard and he had had all he could put up with Harley and he was like, done. He was like, done with me. And it's like, and I had that dream last night, last night. Thankfully, he said this morning, I'm not, I, he doesn't even have a scorecard for me. No, he's not even on a scorecard. <laughs> not yet. So, but all those things he said about himself, I, I could say something very, very similar about me. And I can multiply that because I've been doing it about 10 years longer or however much older I am. Don't tell me. But <laughs> I've been doing that longer. So, you know, once it's gone, we're in danger of that because our, our willpower gets low and then it's not there to hold back those emotions that we're experiencing. It's not there. The willpower is no longer there. It's been depleted and used up, and so it can't contain that anger like I need it to. And it can't, uh, uh, it, it, it can't hold it back any longer like I need it to. And in that moment, I become controlled by my emotions. So our bottom line today, here it is. When our willpower is low, emotions control. I want to say that one more time as well. When our willpower is low, emotions control. And once again, when that happens, I become my own worst enemy. Now, I want to make a comment because Bryce said, he made the comment that anger in and of itself is not wrong. You know, God created our bodies and he created and designed how they function and how they function best as designed by him. He created that. This is so cool to me to think about this concept. God not only knows about our bodies because he's the creator and designer, God knows also from experience because God himself put on one of those bodies as Jesus. And so God knows as Jesus all of our emotions and all of those things we think and we experience uh, with our relationship with ourselves and relationships with other people because God knows all about it because he put on that body. He knows it experientially. He went through it. 
And God created not just our bodies. This is part of our body, but it's like, here's the power center. He created our brains. Everything about the brain, God created. And Jesus actually took one of those two and had it in his skull as well. He had that control center just like we do. So while Jesus was completely and fully God, he was at the same time, one of those paradoxes we don't understand, he was also at the same time completely human as well. And in creating our bodies and creating our brains, I want to mention two specific parts of this brain that science tells us about, that we're beginning to understand. Two specific parts, and they deal with our decision-making and processing of decisions. So, I, I, so if you'll forgive me for just a moment, we're going to jump into this explanation. But I think if you will hang in here with me, you're going to find this, if, like I did, you're going to find this very, very uh, um, satisfying is the wrong word, but uh, very interesting, and, and it explains some things about ourselves. It certainly does me, especially this first part I want to talk about. The first part of the brain I want to talk about, we're just going to simply, the layman term for this is, it's, it's, oh, it's kind of Latin, it's a Latin term, but yeah, we're going to, yeah. it's the Homer Simpson part of our brain. <laughs> the Latin term for this part of our brain is the Homer Simpson part of our brain, all right? We all have a Homer Simpson part in our brain, and that part of our brain um, it is what uh, handles the reward structure. Um, and so I want to get, here's a visual, cons, a visual kind of illustration of that that I, I learned this last week, and I want to share it with you. So if my hand and arm can represent my brain, if it could, it would be much smaller. Of course, <laughs> we know this. But uh, this is the only hand and arm I have, so it's got to be giant. This would be my spinal column, my forearm. Okay, so consider this the spinal column. The wrist would be uh, that important key part there, my brain stem. Okay, very important part of the brain. Uh, the brain stem attached to the spinal column. And then my thumb, my little dumb thumb here, we're going to call this the Homer Simpson part of the brain. All right, this is it. And it's in this part of my brain, the thumb, it is, it is in this part of the brain, and it's located deep inside the brain. So in just a moment, I'm going to close my fist, and there's the brain. But it's deep inside my brain. And actually, um, when I tilt my wrist like the brain would be shaped, spinal column, brain stem, and here's my brain, it puts it near that brain stem, which is important because a lot of things happen here. And this is like uh, the reward center of my brain. It's like, it's that part of me that says, uh, when I'm exposed to something desirable, that Homer Simpson part of my brain says, go get it, go after it. When it uh, drives by uh, Wendy, uh, any restaurant period, if they have cheeseburgers, it's the part of my brain that says, yeah, they've got cheeseburgers, go get one or two. <laughs> go get them. Go get them, Harley. That's the Homer Simpson part. But, the, but this is an important part of the brain. You know, we're making fun of it, but it's important and it's God-given. And this is the part of our brain that keeps us from starving to death which I got real close to this last year. <laughs> no, joking. I did not. <laughs> um, it's the part that keeps us from starving to death. It's the part that says, you need nourishment. Go get it. 
it's the part that, that kind of helps create that desire to get up and move and go do what it's going to require for us to sustain life. God created that. We need it. We have to have that. It deals with urges. It, it also keeps like, it keeps our planet populated. Um, you understand what I'm saying? It says you need, you need to go make babies, and, and, and hopefully you do that according to, to God's plan. And, but that's that part of the brain that deals with all of these urges, and the Homer Simpson part of the brain by itself is all desire and no restraint. So you see the problem now. If I'm living my life by the Homer Simpson part of my brain, then every time I have a desire, I go meet that desire. I just go do that. That's the thing I go and do. So God created a second part of the brain. And so I'm going to wrap these fingers around my thumb. So there's a picture of the brain. Spinal column, brain stem, Homer Simpson part wrapped deep inside this other part. Now, these two fingers primarily that are wrapped around my thumb and the fingernails down here, you see how it encases my thumb. Those two fingers right in here, they make up what is called the prefrontal cortex, all right? That's the part of the brain. Now, this part, see how it's wrapped around that Homer Simpson part? And, and also it wraps around, and it wraps around kind of back towards the brain stem as well. You see how it does that. That's important because this prefrontal cortex is what makes up the part of my brain that regulates everything in the Homer Simpson part. It regulates those decisions and those desires. It regulates that. It allows me to pause. Before I get up and go respond to that immediately, it allows me to think about that and to... And it allows me the opportunity to choose, to discern and think about and choose the next right thing to do, the wise thing to do. This is a hugely important part of the brain. It's necessary for us to have this part of the brain functioning so that we can live a productive life and not run around like Homer Simpson. It allows us to be productive. And if this part of the brain, this, and it's right behind your, your, your eyes, right behind your eyebrows, that's the primary. If that part of the brain gets damaged, then we do have trouble. Um, we have a problem. Our lives can become reckless. Our decision-making becomes reckless. Our lives begin to spiral out of control. There's this thing um, that Bryce and Cole were talking about the other day as we were uh, talking about this teaching um, uh, that... um, Bryce, explain that for me. I'm no no medical doctor, nor do I even claim to know how to say this word. But have you ever stayed at a Holiday Inn Express? I have. Okay, then you're good to go. Okay. Please explain. I am a medical doctor. (laughs) But it, CTE is the shortened term okay. for it. And I've watched some documentaries on this, and I'm really interested in it. But we see football players, boxers, and wrestlers, not right. wrestlers, wrestlers. They all, not, not all of them, but that tends to be where we see this. And what happens is that prefrontal cortex gets damaged to the point it no longer works. And we see things, I don't know if you're familiar with it, we see things like Aaron Hernandez, 
Chris Benoit. We see these things to where they just have no control and they do things like murder people, commit yeah. suicide. I mean, because that damage damaged. is causing a, an inability to regulate that Homer Simpson part of the brain. Okay, so now they are not alone in that though, because it doesn't have to be damaged for us to not use it. Um, we have that same potential. And here's the thing, willpower and self-control, they all live right there in that prefrontal cortex. It all lives right there. And so when we are out of willpower, so here's a physiological, biological understanding of this. When we are out of willpower, it's been depleted. It is as if, you've heard the term because I've lived it, flipping your lid. Am I the only lid flipper in here? When, when I flip my lid and I let emotions control, the picture is flipping your lid that the pre, we have taken the prefrontal cortex out of play and we're allowing the Homer Simpson part of our brain to grab the steering wheel of our lives and to take us wherever it wants to take us. So here's the picture. When Harley flips his lid, the prefrontal cortex is out of play. I'm out of willpower. I'm out of self-control. And my Homer Simpson part is taking over. This prefrontal cortex is so important to regulate that part of our brain. Um, and if not, that Homer Simpson part grabs the steering wheel. And it becomes all emotion at that point and no logic. And basically, I become a non-functioning human. I'm not I, I'm my own worst enemy. And so this prefrontal cortex right there, we've got to keep it healthy. We've got to exercise it. We've got to use it. And that's where self-control is located. And I just, I really want us to understand, that's by God's design. We didn't just develop the prefrontal cortex and created ourselves God gave that to us. It's by his design. And God's spirit works not just through our bodies and our lives. God's spirit also works in and through that prefrontal cortex. Because he created that way. It's part of our biology designed by God. And just to reiterate... Desires, like, like anger in and of itself is not bad. Desires in and of themselves, they are not bad. We have to have desires in order to survive. We have to have them. But this right here, this part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, it must be strong in order to keep the Homer Simpson part in check. It's got to be in good shape. It's got to be working right in order for self-control to live there and willpower to grow. Now, we've talked a lot about willpower. It, it plays a very important part in this process. And Bryce said, it's not this mystical force. Instead of thinking it as a mystical force, I think we could think of willpower more like a muscle, more like a muscle that, uh, that, uh, that, Here's the, the kind of the concept we want to lock into your head here. When our willpower is low, emotions control. And so that willpower muscle is a decision-making 
muscle. And willpower and temptation can be scary to us. We've talked a lot about that today because when it gets low, Harley's in trouble. We're all in trouble because we end up battling a temptation. We don't have time to break this down. I wish we did. We end up battling a temptation out of that willpower. And, you know, we might make it once or twice. We might battle that temptation. Think with me, whatever that temptation might be for you, that strong temptation that you keep telling yourself, I'll never do that again. I'll never say that again, think that again, or do that again, whatever it is for you. And we might make it through a day or, or a week or two weeks. But when it gets low, we use up that willpower. When it gets low, we are in danger of because we will eventually give in and do that again. And maybe, maybe that's why Scripture tells us to flee from temptation instead of hanging around every time and doing battle with it. It just says, run. There is a time we have to stand and do battle with temptation, but, but maybe that's why the new covenant tells us to run away. Don't stand and fight it. Run. Get out of there. Run away. That's just something to think about. Maybe, all right, let's go back to Peter. Let's go back to the narrative of Peter. Matthew chapter 26, verse 44. So Jesus went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Okay, so Jesus went back. He goes once. He goes, they fall asleep. goes twice. They fall asleep. Goes a third time. They fall asleep a third time. Jesus prays. They sleep. So this is where we find Jesus. Willpower depleted. His human side saying, I'm struggling. I need help. He goes to God, spends time with God in prayer and meditation. And his willpower is being in, uh, refreshed. Um, my daughter in Indiana had COVID and she got one of these things called an infusion. And so it gives you lots of antibiotics. Lots of vent, they infuse you. I don't understand. Um, I'll have to ask the doctor That's here me, yeah. after we're done. But they infused her. And so Jesus goes to prayer and he's being infused with God's strength with, with, and added to that with willpower. He's being strengthened. But again, let's compare the steps of Jesus to the steps of Peter. Jesus praying, Peter wasn't. He was not praying. And so, yes, we have Peter who is struggling and he's hurting. And yes, we have Peter who is stressed out and Jesus was struggling. Jesus was stressed out. And yes, we have Peter whose willpower is depleted. And yes, so was Jesus. But unlike Jesus, Peter is sleeping. In verse 45, then Jesus came to the disciples and said, go ahead, sleep, have your rest. And then, like, in an instant, oh, too late. <laughs> but look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of the sinners, of sinners. Verse 46, up, he says to the man, let's get going. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So now we see a different Jesus on the humanity side. He has been refreshed with willpower, and he is ready to move forward and to complete this mission that he's on. But Peter, who has been sleeping 
through the willpower infusion. <laughs> Peter is getting ready to have a rough night. His willpower is gone. And he's in clear danger. Back to the narrative. Jesus speaking to Judas in verse 50. Jesus said, my friend, speaking to Judas, go ahead, do what you've come for. And then the others, uh, who were the guards, grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Verse 51. But one of the men with Jesus. Now here, Matthew tells us it was just one of the men. But if you read this same account in uh, the uh, record of John, John lets us know who it was. He's like, huh, it wasn't just any man, it was Peter. <laughs> John says, Peter did this next thing. So he calls him out, John does. But Matthew is a little kinder here. He says, uh, let's see where what I, uh, grab Jesus in verse 51, but one of the men with Jesus, which was Peter, pulled out his sword and he struck the high priest slave, slashing off his ear. Which takes us to our bottom line. When willpower is low, emotions control. And that's what we see for Peter right here in this moment. And Jesus says to him in verse 52, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Now just hours Later, after this happens in the garden, Jesus is now on trial and he's in a courtyard and Peter finds himself in this rough, rough place. He's facing a temptation now and there's no willpower to, to do battle with it. He has used it all up completely. There's nothing remaining. He, he's warming by a fire just in eye shot of Jesus, where Jesus is standing and facing this. They can see each other. Peter's warming by a fire. Hit pause. Let's go backwards just hours earlier. Hours earlier, Peter had plenty of willpower. It was not yet depleted. Hours earlier, he declares to Jesus, things are not hot in this moment. They're kind of cool. Things are going okay. And he declares to Jesus with confidence. Matthew 26, verse 35. Even if I have to die with you, he says, Jesus, I will never deny you. Never. Here's what we're learning. When things in our life are going okay, and we have plenty of willpower, we're feeling good, we usually overestimate how much willpower we actually have, how much we can actually handle. So here's a caution. We all tend to overestimate how much willpower we have when things are cool, when things are going okay. We think we have tons of willpower, a never-ending supply. I'm going to be fine over there. I'll be fine. That'll be okay. But you put us in a hot state when things are hot in the heat of the moment. We might be able to resist something when things are cool, but you put us in the heat of the moment in a hot state, we're not going to be able to resist. We overestimated how much willpower we actually have. Now, let's go back to the courtyard. There's Peter warming by the fire, and he is not just warm from the fire. He is in a very hot state emotionally with no willpower left. And he has been asked now two times, hey, aren't you one of those guys who followed Jesus around? Aren't you one of his followers? Two times he's asked that. And, he's, and each time he lies, he's in a hot state, no willpower. 
And finally, this third time, he's asked a third time. In the eyesight, they can see each other, eyesight of Jesus. Peter finally really crashes here big time. Verse, 20, uh, verse 74, chapter 26. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. Now, I want you to picture this. This is not just like he's mouthing off. I like the way you worded it. How did, did you say it was verbal vomit? Word vomit. Word vomit. He word vomits everywhere here. It's anger, this violent eruption. I don't know the man. He shouts, and immediately a rooster crowed. This is him saying that is preceded not just, I don't know the man, by, by cursing and swearing an oath. Here's what I want you to understand about that. So it's more than profanity. It's more than like what we would call a cuss word. It's more than that. It's as if Peter is saying, in the, when he was putting a curse upon himself, here's what, it's as if he's saying this. May God kill me right now and send me to hell if what I'm not saying is a lie. If what I'm saying is a lie. In other words, if I'm lying, may God send me to hell right now. That's what Peter said. That's what he was saying, the essence of what he was saying. And I'm like Peter. When my willpower is low and I flip my lid and I'm going off the Homer Simpson part of my brain and emotions are controlling, I'm like Peter. When our willpower is low, emotions control. So, Bryce said, willpower. We all have a limited supply. We all have it. We all have willpower but it's limited supply. But we can take what willpower we do have, we can take that, and like a muscle, here's a key concept for us, like a muscle, willpower, it equals this mental muscle. It will atrophy, which means it's, it'll shrivel up. If we don't use that willpower, it'll shrivel up and become uh, a, just like we don't have any. I wish I could give you an example we don't have time to. But like a muscle, if it's not used, it will atrophy. It will shriver, shriver. It will shrivel. But like a muscle, it will also grow stronger. It just depends on how we use it. It's either going to atrophy or it's going to grow stronger. And let's go further with that. And like a muscle... As soon as we use that, it gets weak. So, you know, if you go work out to the point of muscle failure, you're completely weak. You can barely walk. As you can tell, I do that all the time. <laughs> I saw the gun when you were Yeah, doing did it. you? Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I've been working on that. Not. That was a lie. I had no willpower in that moment. I just told a lie. <laughs> but like a muscle, as soon as you use that willpower, it, it's weak and it's not available to use. You have depleted it. But that will recover if you'll allow it. And if you'll do what we're going to recommend here, if you will, it will recover and it will get stronger even for next time. It'll recover. And that happens with frequent use. So since it's limited, we have to 
replenish it like we saw Jesus do here. So what did Jesus do that Peter did not do? I think we can summarize it like this. There was scripture involved, meditation, thinking about that scripture involved. There was prayer. As Jesus said, watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Yeah, and the Peter we see here was young in his relationship with yeah. Christ. He'd only been following him three years or so. I mean, he was a, a young Christ follower. But later on in his life, after years of growing and years of following Jesus, we see a very, very different man, a man with self-control that we didn't see earlier. Uh, he seems very, very different. And I want to encourage you all uh, today sometime, look up Second Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, because we've beat up on him pretty good yeah, this yeah, morning. We did. I, I want you to go and see what he turned into. Yeah. See, see the man that he became, because that's, yeah. that's encouraging to me yeah. that, that say, I can become that. Say that reference again. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 7. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to see a different man than what we have shown you this morning. Yeah. Um, he grew. He matured. For Peter to help change the world that he change the world the way that he did, he had to change. Mm -hmm. He had to change to change the world. The Peter we saw here, the rash, no willpower Peter, he couldn't have done what he did later on. He, the Homer Simpson Peter. The Homer Simpson Peter. Yeah, he could not have done <laughs> yeah. what he did. Yeah. He allowed God to develop self-control in him, the ability to do the next right thing even when he didn't feel like it. Yeah. The way Jesus did, going to God. So here we sit. We have the information in front of us. Everybody in here, including Harley and myself, we yep. have a decision to make. We do. What path are we going to go down? Am I going to go down the low willpower, losing my temper, not having much resistance temptation? Am I going to keep going down that path? Or am I going to go down the path we talked about today? The I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to God. I'm going to flex my willpower muscle so I'm ready when that comes. So we're going to give you some next steps. We're going to give you some tools, and we'll be doing the same thing, I promise you. We're going to give you some tools to where you can, you can do this along with us. First one, replenish willpower like Jesus did, memorizing and focusing on specific passages of New Covenant to learn and to live. Now, we didn't see him do that today in right. our store, but right. if you look, at, look in Scripture, when Satan tempted him. What did he do? Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, at, at week one alongside the kids. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly he, right. He quoted scripture back. So we need scripture in the back of our mind to help us when we're in those situations. I'm gonna share mine. I don't own it, so yeah. you can use it too. No, you. I didn't. won't charge you. <laughs> I won't charge you. Don't you don't have a copyright my... on it. Not yet. I'm trying. After I stay in the Holiday Inn one more time, <laughs> I think I'll be able to do it. Yeah. James 1, 19 through twenty. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. I use that on a weekly basis <laughs> because I know that anger, what I talked about earlier, there's nothing godly about that. Right. Nothing good is going to come from that. God's not going to be glorified through my anger. Yeah, so focus on that. You have brought that into, you're in the process yes. of bringing that into your life, thinking about that to where, it's right there to call on it when you need it. Yeah, I, tr I try to go there instead of I try to think about that. Now, again, my kids will tell you, he doesn't always do that. I don't, but I try. <laughs> they're taking notes and yeah. they're like, okay. We may, have a, we may have an interesting discussion during, <laughs> over lunch. I don't know. Uh, the next one is, is prayer. We saw Jesus do that today. Prayer is simply a conversation with God. 
You just talk to God. God, I'm having trouble. I need you to come in and help me with this. I need you to send people to help me with this. I need help. We saw Jesus did that. And if Jesus did it, it sure is not too good for us to do it. Right. So do that. And Jesus did it in community, which brings us to our next one. It is easier in community. It is so much easier when you have people walking alongside you helping you do this. this isn't, life is not meant to be lived alone. We're to do this together. Do these today, and we're going to add one more. Add up, I mean, add up, add up. Sign up for a small yeah, group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's where you're going to find this community that you need to support you when things get rough. When your willpower is yeah. low, find somebody in that small group. You can call them, text them. You have, you have people to reach out to. Now, I'm going to end this on a statement, and then we're going to pray. And I'm going to give the person the credit who came up with this. Okay. Very, very, very wise man. Hmm. But wise man with dreadlocks. Oh, uh, oh, John the Baptist. No, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> and I want to, is it all right if I share the situation real sure, quick? Sure, this was I'm all, not sure where you're going. Well, this was, commu- this was a community in action. Okay. Cole and myself and Harley are sitting around talking about things. Yeah. And we're talking about this in particular. And this comes to Harley's mind, and Harley says it. And we all, but we all jump up like our favorite team scored a oh, touchdown. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> But it was awesome to be a part of that, and yeah. it happened in community. And that's what we want for y'all. Yeah. We want yeah. you to have those relationships and those experiences. But here it is. Self-control. It can't happen, with him. It can't happen without him, but it won't happen without us. Let me say that again because I kind of butchered it. And him is? God. Yeah. 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 Self-control. It can't happen without him, but it won't happen without us. Let's pray. Jesus... You told them, and you can still tell us today to keep, watch, and pray so that we will not give in a temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus, we ask that our helper, your spirit, would remind us of our need to rely on you before our willpower is depleted so that our anger and our emotions don't control us. We thank you for this community of people that you've brought together a community of your followers who can lift each other up when we are drained so that we can still have the strength to do the next right thing even when we don't feel like it. We also ask that there's anyone hearing this this morning that needs to find a community, a community of your followers that you would lead them in the right direction and they would take that step sooner rather than later. These things we ask in your precious name, amen.